The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live from many different locations around Southern California. So thrilled to be here with you this morning. I think my computer time uh, is off. Traven kept asking me if I was ready to start and I was, I'm still showing it's not 10 o'clock yet, but my clock says we're late. So my apologies for being late, y'all. But we're here, we're gonna be with you live until the top of the hour and we're excited to be here with you and to hopefully provide some information and inspiration because that's what we're about here. I want to remind you that there are many different ways to watch the show and there are many different ways to participate. So Traven, if we could put up that graphic that shows them all the different ways, that helps me because there's so many ways now <laughs> I get lost in it. So uh, now on the bottom, autism-live.com, but I'm being told this morning that you can't get there directly. So we're going to check into that. Uh, but there, if you just Google Autism Live, it will give you a link that does work. So I don't understand that. And I will find out about that before the end of today. Um, but if you get there, you can watch the show live there. And also to take a look at all the videos that we've done over the last nine years. You can search them by topic. It's a really great way to go in depth with the things that we have available there. Good morning, Amanda. Also want to let you know that you can chat with us directly there. It's a little less immediate than the other ways I'm going to tell you. But if you're watching us recorded, it's a great way for you to send in um, a question either for Dr. Doreen or for Temple Grandin or any of our guests that we have recurring. Great way to send in a question is on the chat on autism-live.com. The toy guide is also there for last year and we're getting ready. It's We're just a little over, a little less than a month away from unveiling the new toy guide for 2020. I'm so proud of it. But you can take a look at last year's guide if you wanna see some really great toys for our kiddos, teens, adults, and even caregivers. So, uh, so thrilled that we have that there. And the previous two years are also available on the blog on autism-live.com. But take a look at all the other ways that you could be watching us live. The first column is all live. The, uh, the second column puts all the add-in ways that we podcast. So we are live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope, and you can see all the different ways that you can connect with us there. And if you are writing into us on any of those four platforms right now, we are able to get your comments almost immediately because Traven, our producer, is amazing and brave, and <laughs> we're doing this new format. We are still working out some kinks, and I beg your forgiveness and patience, but I think we're all enamored of the things that it can do. But take a look at that second column. That's just some of the ways that you can catch up on us in podcast form. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, Amazon Music, uh, which is new. Check it out. 
Audible and Deezer. Those are just some of the ways that you guys can connect with us when we're not live. But we are live Monday through Friday. And I say that with a little bit of an asterisk. We're usually live. Sometimes we play reruns. Um, but almost always we're live Monday through Friday. And we're live from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific time, which is 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern time. And I know that those of you, I've lived in the Midwest and in mountain time. I know you're used to doing the math. So uh, that is when we are live. If you ever want to catch us live and interact with us, we really love it. It's our favorite thing is being interactive with you. But, but again, our whole mission here is to provide information and inspiration. We like to remind you at the start of the show that we have lots of experts that are here on the show on lo in lots of different categories, right? I'm not one of them. But I believe that this show needs to be for that whole greater autism community that starts, of course, with individuals on the autism spectrum. They are the beating heart, the core of our community. Nothing without them, correct? Uh, but on our show here, we like to include everyone who loves those individuals, that they are a part of the conversation as well, because together we're all fighting for the rights, the resources, the dignity, all of the different things that people on the spectrum are entitled to and we want to help them to get to. Even if that's just being an ally and supporting and saying, you you know, of course you have the right to that. Hello, Nad. We're hi from Ireland. Oh, oh, we have so much to talk about. I got my 23andMe back. I have got to get myself to Ireland. You know, my whole life I was told that I have Irish relatives and uh, that I am from, you know, our people are from Ireland. My goodness. My first name is after the family name, Shannon, right? Then I did some genealogy.com and found out that we're mostly Scottish. And now I got my 23andMe and turns out, guess what? My family was right. We're mostly Irish. So I got to get myself over there. As soon as Ireland will allow people from America again, I've got to get myself over there. So thrilled uh, that you're here with us. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We might be related somewhere in the very distant past. Uh, but anyway, thrilled that you are here. So as I was saying, we have lots of experts that are here on the show. Guess what? I'm not one of them. I have uh, been hosting shows about autism now for over 10 years, well over 10 years. I think we're at the 12 year mark because I used to do a radio show called Everyday Autism Miracles, which is still available. You can go find those old episodes. Uh, those were the early days. Yeah. But I had some pretty impressive guests. And now I've been hosting Autism Live for over nine years. So I feel like I've interviewed a lot of people and that doesn't make me an expert, but it makes me slightly informed. Yeah. And I'm also a parent. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. And I am so lucky. And I know that I'm lucky because we, you know, we fought, we fought for a lot of different services for him. And we, we asked a lot of questions. And then when we found answers, we, we followed through on them. I'm going to admit to that. And, and we had really good help, but we got lucky too. And let me just acknowledge that. And so now my son is 17 and he does not have any disabling effects from autism. He is, he, and this unique individual has this brain that is beautiful that allows him to do things that I can't even conceive of. Um, but there's nothing holding him back. And that's because he got good resources and he is not changed. That is not what happened because of the good resources, nobody changed him. He's exactly who he was all along. Uh, they just gave him ways to connect to the things that were important to him and ways to learn with the brain that he has 
It didn't change his brain. And I just want to say that. And we're so proud of him and we're so proud of the individuals who helped him. And I know, you know, we talk about the Center for Autism and Related Disorders here on the show, um, but those are the people who helped him. They are not the only ABA provider out there, but a lot lately you guys have been writing in about, you know, what's the basically what's the difference between good ABA and bad ABA? And some people don't know that there's a difference, that they think it's all bad ABA. I just want to let you know that we participated in good ABA and it was best thing that we will ever have done in our lives. I mean, it just doesn't even matter what I, like I could do everything in the world now. It won't matter. It won't be as good as what we, not that it doesn't matter. I don't mean that. It will never equal what we were able to do and and the closeness that my family has as a result of that good ABA. So uh, I know that Ireland is beautiful. I've got to get myself there. Would you believe I've never been? That's just shameful. Shame on me. Uh, hello from Maine. Thank you so much for all you do for us autism families. Thank you, Robin, for being here and, and welcome from Maine. I, Maine is a beautiful state. Oh my goodness, my goodness. So, so thrilled that you're here. And all of you can be writing in right now. We love shout outs. Uh, we, love, we love when you tell us where you're from. It just, I don't know, it gives me goosies, right? But in any case, we're here and uh, don't expect me to be an expert, but I will give you my what I call informed opinion, which is not an expert opinion. As long as we're clear on that, we have the ground rules and we can do everything that we want to do here. Uh, by the way, we like to start Mondays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. Now, here's the funny thing about this. When we, uh, when we started the show and I was asked to come in and what would I do if I had this kind of a format? And the first thing I said was, we've got to do jargon of the day. Uh, <laughs> because the jargon so often was sinking my battleship. And I knew that when I got a jargon term, it helped me so much. And uh, so we've had jargon of the day from the beginning, but the intent was to help caregivers who are overwhelmed in the early days of diagnosis with these experts who are so well-meaning, but speak this whole other language. The irony here, though, is that now the experts train their newbies on our jargon. How hilarious and full circle is that? But we welcome all the colleges and universities that are using our jargon of the day. Come on, come with us. Uh, and they tell me it's helping them because we give you the actual definition. We use their terms. Then we make fun of them. Even though we love them, we make fun of them. And then we give a working definition so that a uh, somebody who's walking in first day who doesn't know and hasn't taken all the psychology classes. Uh, and I took a lot of psychology classes. I never heard today's term once in a psychology class. Of course, that was a long time ago and there weren't as many people on the spectrum. You know, maybe I would hear it now. But in any case, we need a way to start when we don't have a degree in psychology. So you see today's term, it is manned. And doesn't it look like somebody has uh, meant to say man and just, you know, their thumb slipped a little bit too far, right? <laughs> right? Or, you know, I always think it's like short for Amanda. We're just going to call Amanda. Hey, man, how you doing, man? What's new, man? Right? No, that is not what it means. Uh, and this was probably, after all the run of the mill autism terms, once we started ABA, this was probably the first jargon term that just tore my ticket because... ABA people use this term like it's something everyone knows, that you're down at the Kroger 
And people are like, oh, have you manded today? Well, I, when I was manding the other day, yeah, right. Nobody uses this term except for psychologists. Uh, so let's take a look at what manned means because it's really important. This is the whole reason why we do jargon because even though these terms are wild and woolly, they're important. So the man, this is our actual definition, so I have to use my elevator voice. The man is a type of verbal behavior that is controlled by a motivating operation. And then we get a little explanation here, deprivation or an aversive state. Gosh, I'm glad you cleared that up. And is followed by specific reinforcement. The man specifies its own reinforcer. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the entire reason why we do jargon of the day. Because if you understand that on day one, when your child has just been diagnosed with autism, it means that you have a bunch of letters after your name and that you already have an advanced degree in psychology. And most of us don't. So this is, you know, I mean, if I don't know what a man is, I, I don't even know for sure what verbal behavior is and what's a motivating operation. And why do you think telling me the deprivation and aversive state clear it up? Because it doesn't. <laughs> it's followed by a specific reinforcement. What is that? And the man specifies its own reinforcer. Kill me now. Right? Like, I can't make heads or tails. <laughs> like, I know that those are English words and you put them together very artfully, but what in the hey, naughty, naughty does that mean? What does it look like? Okay, so let's move on to our working definition and see if we can't answer some of these questions. So manding, what I want you to remind yourself when you think about the word command, when you command somebody to do it, the mand is part of it, right? And that's gonna help you to know what this is. Manding is requesting, demanding, or asking for something. So when we're teaching someone how to access language, verbal behavior, and by the way, verbal behavior is communication. It is not always spoken. So let's be clear about that. When we're manding, we're engaged in verbal behavior and we're asking for something. And we can ask for something in lots of different ways, right? We can hold out our hand and do this, right? Give me, give me, give me, give me, right? That's verbal behavior. And that is a man because I'm requesting something, right? I can also sign for it. And, you know, when I can say more, right, that is verbal behavior. And this is a man because I'm asking for something. And that's all very important. And we always want to be encouraging all different types of communication. But when we're talking about autism, of course, for caregivers, the, you know, the height that we are always wanting, of course, is vocal behavior. We want our kiddos to be able to request something. Isn't that true? I, I think, you know, I, I think I can speak um, honestly that at some point, Every parent wanted this. And some parents make their peace with the fact that their child is not going to be able to do that, but that comes after a lot of trying, right? And we've learned that over the years that more and more people on the autism spectrum can get to vocal behavior if we do enough of the right things. And enough of the right things means, first of all, giving people functional communication. And you'll see this is a big topic this week, right? Um, they've got to have a way to communicate, even if it's not vocally. And, and you know, we're not going to give up on the vocal, but we've got to give them a way to communicate. So we might give them a picture icon system where they point to the little icon that has juice on it and they point to it. This is verbal behavior. 
because I am manding, I am requesting juice. I can hand it to you too. And that's verbal behavior. That is a manned, right? When we're going for vocal speech, though, we want for the child to have some approximation, some sound that goes along with the request. So in the beginning, all children, no, no child comes out of the womb speaking, they go through a process where they might go, uh, 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 when, you know, because you're holding the bottle and the baby goes, uh, 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 or the toy, get, you know, which is a form of saying, give it to me, right? And over time, that shapes into give, you know, give or want or toy or juice or whatever the word is, right? And when we have kids that are, and I hate the term, but when they are typically developing, that is the norm, that we shape this behavior. If you've never seen it, I, re I refer to it all the time on the show. There was a, a TED Talk where a scientist had, um, his wife was pregnant, and he got a grant so that before the baby was born, they tripped out their whole house with cameras and with uh, the ability to record so that they could record this child's development. And uh, afterwards, when the child was, I don't know, like two and a half, three years old, they took every single time that the child had attempted to say water, all the approximations, and they put it all and they edited it all down end to end. So it was two years, two years worth of approximations, but it's fascinating because you get to see like the time lapse of how did this child first get to the point where their first time that they manded water and it was intelligible as the word water. And you hear that there's probably a thousand different times that the child said, what, what, you know, until they got to the point where they said water. And for me as an autism parent, I, you know, and let me reverse that because I'm trying not to use that phrase anymore. As a parent of someone who was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, it gave me so much information about, oh, well, we still have to go through all those phases with our kiddos, right? Um, and that we shouldn't expect things to be overnight once we find the method of working on this. But let me clue you into the manned is one of the biggest ways that we get in there and get a kid to use their voices because you know how the part of the definition that said the man specifies its own reward because I'm asking for what I want. And the reinforcement is that once I've asked for it, you give me the thing I want. And that makes me want to ask again, because if I can ask you for a million dollars and you give it to me, how crazy would it be for not for me to not ask you for another million dollars, right? Or a cookie or juice or whatever. It is actually reinforcing, directly reinforcing, if I ask for the thing and you give it to me. Now, with kiddos on the autism spectrum, they don't, this does not happen in the traditional way, uh, but it still can happen. But sometimes because our kids are late to speech, their facial muscles aren't there. So they will ask, they think they're asking for something, but we don't understand what they're asking for, right? And sometimes we get into that phase where they mom understands because mom's around them all the time, but you know, the teacher doesn't understand. And so it's frustrating for the kiddo. I'm asking for the thing I want and I'm not getting it. And sometimes we see 
that they will act out when you don't give them what they wanted because they thought they requested it. So we want to get this man thing going, 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 and we want to make sure that they get reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. You ask for it, you get it. You ask for it, you get it. You ask for it, you get it over and over and over again. Now, sometimes that might mean you have to take something that they want a ton of that isn't necessarily, like you don't want to give them 700 gummy bears, right? Sometimes you got to be smart and cut those gummy bears up. So if they say, you know, bear, uh, you know, you give them a, a part of a bear, not the whole bear, a part of a cookie, right? But you want to, in the beginning, you want them to be manding hundreds of times an hour because it really cements, I speak, I get, I speak, I get, I speak, I get. And it gets that practice going. And if they get rewarded enough, they let other forms of communication like tantruming go. My goodness, if I can ask you for juice and I get it and I don't have to throw myself on the floor and hope that you'll understand that that's what I mean, hmm, I think I'll ask for juice. And again, in the beginning, you know, the child may just say, you, you know, and that's enough and we give them the juice and then we, we lengthen it and have them say, okay, say juice and, uh, or, you know, whatever it is so that we shape that behavior. But manding is important. Manding is a right that we all have on this planet to be able to ask for what we want. It's got to be in place. And I want everybody who's watching right now to think, does, do I, let's start with I, do I have the ability to ask for what I want and need? Do I have that ability? And what is standing between me and doing that? And then ask yourself, if you love someone on the autism spectrum, do they have the ability to do that right now? And if they don't, we have to work on that. And I hope that, you know, for the caregivers that are watching, I know that in our heart of hearts, we all want our kids to speak. I don't want to take that away from you. I, like at all, but I want to say to you that this week we're going to be talking about how important it is that we give that functional communication uh, one way or the other. We can't hold out on other forms of communication because we're holding out on speech. Yeah. So, so, and, and by the way, statistically, the studies show that that is the quicker way to speech is if someone is not getting speech right now and we've tried and we switch to functional communication, they will end up getting to speech faster than the kiddos that we just try to slog it out with them. I don't think it's fair. Um, so yes, Parker, that is some major big brother stuff. This, the scientist, he agreed to it and his wife agreed to it. And they show you these cameras from above and you can watch all the places like they speed it up and you can see all the places that the child said water so that they can say, look, he says it more by um, water sources, which is kind of crazy. And I don't know what happened with this. I need to look up that scientist. Probably should try to get him on the show. Um, he wasn't talking about autism, but he was talking about the development of language. And I was like so enthralled uh, because this is what we need to know to be able to help more and more people to get to functional communication, right? Uh, so anyway, uh, I should look and see what he's done with that study in the last few years. Because I think it was a five-year study that they were going to videotape his kid for five years. And don't you want to know what his kid thinks about that now, because his kid is probably like 10, 12 now. I need to look it back up. In any case, uh, let's move on to our question of the day. You ready for this? Our question today, I don't know what it is. Oh, what do you want? So if we're talking about manding, 
And we're talking about being able to request what we want. What do you want? And I, you know, you can take it literally or existentially. What do you want? Um, I know what I want. I'm not going to say it here. <laughs> I know what I want. And I know it's what a lot of people want. Um, I, you know, uh, but write into us, tell us what you want and you can guess what I want. Um, but, um, I will say this, that my son said to me yesterday, I, you know, cause we're filling out the college applications and I, I just wanted to get a feel for so much in his life is going to change in the next year. And he's never been through this. He doesn't have an older sibling. He hasn't been around a cousin as they went off to college. And I said to him, when you picture next year, what do you picture? And at first he said, oh, mom, I really don't want to talk about this. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, you know, and, and then he said, well, you know, I just picture everything being normal again. And, uh, and I said, what, you mean like you picture, you know, being at home with mom and dad and going to college from home? And he was like, oh, you mean that? He said, I just mean the world, mom. I just mean the world. I just want us all to be able to go outside again and go where we want to go, do what we want to do, talk to who we want to talk to and not be worried all the time about, you know, all of this nonsense. And, um, and I was like, oh, amen to that. Uh, somebody wrote in, uh, God answer everyone to treat everyone the way they want to be treated. That's pretty powerful. That is pretty powerful. Uh, so write in, what do you want? Uh, what do you want? You know, I, I love Dr. Phil says you got to name it to claim it. What do you want? Okay. Moving on. Uh, we always have a topic of the week and, um, you know, sometimes, uh, we talk about this on the show that you'll, you'll, you come to the show and you don't even know what you'd like to ask. We always say to you, ask our experts a question, but sometimes you don't even know what to ask for. Sometimes you don't even know what the question is. And I do think that one of the great things about this show is that you can hear other people ask questions and go, oh, I didn't even know that was a question. I didn't even know that was a thing. And that sometimes watching other people, you go, oh, Somebody asked about this, which has made me think about this. Can I even ask for that? And I think that in life, a lot of times knowing what to ask for is the thing. And I see this a lot in the autism community that, um, you know, especially if you're overwhelmed and beat down and you're used to things being a certain way, and then you meet somebody who is having some service or resource or something that you didn't know about and you go, what? That's a thing? And they go, oh yeah, you didn't know because you didn't even know to ask for it, right? Um, so one of the things that I wanted to do with this show is to create this sort of hive mind where people could ask questions and other people could learn from it. So never fear um, that what you're asking, because I know sometimes I feel like, well, I think this is probably a stupid question. I don't think there is a stupid question. And I think that when you ask questions, it helps all of us to learn. Uh, and somebody says, I want to know about biomedical and gigwitive enzyme and detox, please. Well, I will get somebody on here to talk about that. I don't even, oh, I think, I think it's probably digestive enzymes. Uh, Cause I was like, I don't know what gig would have, and maybe I'm wrong, write to me, but I think you, I think it's digestive enzymes. Um, I will get digestive. Thank you. And you did write that. So, um, okay. Uh, so I will get somebody on here to talk about that. I will do that. Uh, and somebody else said, so true. Just found out about that respite was a thing. Right. And I, 
If you're in the state of California and you have not registered for IHSS, you need, we need to talk. I didn't know. I know I went to the social security office one day when things were really bad and we didn't have enough money to pay rent. And I filled, I, I spent the day there and I filled out all the papers. And at the end they said, no, you know, you own two cars that we were paying on. And they were like, if you don't give up one of your cars, then you don't, you're not eligible for anything. Your income is low enough, but you still own two cars. And my husband worked and I needed the other car to take my son to therapies. And I was like, what? I have to give up one of the cars in order to, and they didn't tell me what I would be eligible for. They didn't, they didn't tell me anything. They were not helpful. And years later, I found out that we didn't have to be destitute and it wasn't about the two cars, but I didn't know what question to ask. So, um, you know, you got to ask the, ask questions and ask. you know what I always like to do in a meeting is say to somebody, um, if, uh, what questions should I be asking? And that in life has helped me out a lot. Um, Okay, somebody wrote in a question, but I have to go to the app to see because you guys are writing in too fast now. Uh, not too fast, just too fast for me to follow. I was denied adult services because I had too much money in my savings. And I think that that is going to be changing very, very soon. Uh, and it depends on which state you're in. IHS, IHHS and respite is used for what kind of kids because autistic and what is it exactly? So in the state of California, they have many different things. They have the regional center. Uh, which helps to connect you to some things and it's changing. That's why I'm being vague because it's in the process of changing. And so some people are on one plan and other people are on another plan. But once you have, uh, once you're a regional center client, then you can apply for Medi-Cal. And first you apply for Medi-Cal and you will get denied because you make too much money and that's normal. And then you apply for disability. It used to be you could just apply for the disability form, but now they make you go through the means test. I don't know why. I think just to kill time. I don't mean to be mean about that, but I think sometimes they just put up hoops because it costs them money. So they have to make sure that you really want it, which is not a great thing, but a reality. So once you have Medi-Cal, that gives you more respite from the regional center and you don't have to contribute to it. If you just have a regional center, you have respite, but you, according to your income, you have to contribute. Maybe you pay 20% of what it costs for the respite worker. If you have Medi-Cal, you don't pay anything, which already is a savings. Once you have Medi-Cal, you can apply for IHSS. And what that does in the state of California is you have to apply for it. It usually takes a year uh, and sometimes more, probably more in COVID. They come and inspect your house and they, you know, interview you and, the people working with your kiddo and they try to see like, how is your life different than someone who has a typically developing child of that age? So let's say you have a five-year-old and you know, you can't just leave five-year-olds by yourself and you still have to prepare their food, right? So that's not out of the ordinary, but if you're still paying for diapers because your five-year-old isn't potty trained, well then that's over the norm of what, and you have to go get the diapers and you have to pay for the diapers and so on and so forth. If you have to take your child to ABA therapy, your friend down the block with a neurotypical five-year-old is not having to do that. So you have to pay for your time in the car and the gas to get there, right? And to go pick them up. So anything that's over the norm of what you would have to do for that child, they will pay you. They will pay for the diapers. They will pay for your time in the car. They will pay for your gas. And different, you know, depending on the, the needs of the individual, they will pay you for taking care of them because they know that if 
you didn't have to do that. You could be out making money and they don't, the whole point is to keep the family together. And some families have to put their child in a placement because they simply can't afford it. So the state says, we'd rather pay you. And that is what IHSS is. And I'm sure that someone within the sound of my voice didn't know about that and needed to know about that. So thank you for asking. It's the right question to ask. Okay. I think Bonnie is here and waiting and I don't want her to wait. Um, and uh, sorry about that, Bonnie. So Bonnie Yates is a special education attorney with a law office, owner law offices. And is it winter where you are? Oh, you're giving away everything. I'm not telling you. You're stealing, well, we're, stealing my chair. Here, here we would not be wearing a ski cap. Um, uh, what, what if I was? What if I was like fresh off of a bank robbery or something? <laughs> you are so funny, and I enjoy you so much. So let me let me say some nice things about you. As I was saying, Bonnie is a special education attorney of the highest caliber. And uh, she is with the Tolner Law Offices. Tell us a little bit about Tolner Law Offices. Bonnie. Good morning. Tolner Law Offices is an eight-attorney firm. We cover all of California, Arizona, and Nevada. And um, we like to do um, all kinds of disability-related work. So if you have a problem with your district, if you have a problem with the regional center, if you have a problem with the college boards for accommodations, if you have a problem with your university, um, we would love to talk to you about any of that. Um, Shannon put up the website. Um, we offer a free consultation to anyone in California, uh, Arizona, or Nevada. Uh, and if you aren't in any of those states and you need help, I would direct you to www.copaa.net, which is a good organization that has an attorney directory. Um, also, we give general advice, general legal advice on this program. And so um, you probably have a specific problem that would be better addressed by uh consultation with an attorney in your state. But what we're doing here is we're getting to a lot of the essential stuff about uh, special education law in the hope that as you understand it better, you will be able to advocate even more effectively. Um, yes. There, there was, there was um, a thought behind the hat. Uh, the, the first thought <laughs> First off, there's also a, see, this is when you can't see people from, there's also a scarf. Um, so the first thought was it's a holiday, so I don't have to wear, you know, professional clothing. The second thought was, you know, uh, since COVID started, uh, everything has gone virtual. It's really changed the way we practice uh, for the better and the worse. So I am in New York State working virtually um, because my grandson is here and um, I might not have this opportunity again once we go back to what Shannon's son is talking about and we're all, all normal again. Um, but the thing that I wanted to tell you about being virtual is it's been negative and it's been positive. I think one of the positives is it has allowed us to extend our geographic reach to everywhere in the state of California, including places where it's been hard for people to find counsel. Um, that's one thing. Another thing is it's cut down on the cost of things for parents because we have no travel time. And typically when we travel to IEPs or mediation or due process hearing, 
we're in an urban city and it does take us time to get from point A to point B. So that's been interesting. Um, it's also been uh, in some ways a little easier sometimes to actually stay on top of things in the screen format, although that might sound counterintuitive. The other thing is they're recording everything off of the Zoom. So there's a recording of everything. And then, you know, I mean, you can get into the more unprofessional aspects of things like, I, I don't think anybody wears heels anymore. I think we all wear, you know, wool socks or something. Um, <laughs> also, I find that when you're in your own environment, if you need to step away and get a glass of water, there's like nobody sit, you know, nobody sort of making you feel as if you can't do that. So these are maybe some small things that we should, you know, carry back with us when we go back into real life. Um, if you're recording um, on a phone the way I do, you have to be careful because if your client sends you text messages or you get phone calls, it'll interrupt your recording. So you've got to put your phone on airplane mode. Um, and then there's this ability to just sort of black out your face if, if you need to do something for a moment. So we are virtual for the moment. And actually, if, if the choice for us would be to meet with you virtually over Zoom, which we do all the time, or to meet with you face to face in an office with both of us wearing a mask, I think I'd rather just meet with you on Zoom. So, you know, Zoom is always an option uh, if you want to you know, talk to one of the TLO attorneys. So just um, we have we have questions. But I wanted to shamelessly plug, uh, and she doesn't know I'm going to do this, Melissa Stromberg-Lander, who is, you know her, Shannon? Oh, yes. Okay. She's been on the show many times. Okay. Well, she's the IHSS expert, and she knows it, and she doesn't overcharge. So that's my comment about IHSS. Go get some. Absolutely. Um, so she's with Standout Advocates, you guys. Yes. Uh, Google Standout Advocates. And she's been on the show and talking about it. Uh, she's amazing. And yeah, I agree with you. She is the expert for that. Okay, good. So then I have stuff for everybody, but we were going to do the questions first, right? Okay. Yes. Um, now I, I'll, shall I read the first question? You shall. Okay. Um, my five-year-old nonverbal child is in kindergarten. We have decided to only go to school three hours a week during distance learning and to use the rest of the time to maximize ABA and speech. The issue we are having with the school is that they are making an attempt to teach a concept, and if he doesn't get it, they just move on to the next concept. We tried talking to them about this, and they said they can't modify the curriculum for him and that it is our fault because we haven't given him enough hours. First, doesn't IDEA stipulate something about modifying the curriculum? My child is not in school so that, he, uh, so that he can have medically necessary treatments. Does that give them the right to just teach over him and force him to never learn the goals he has in his IEP? I am in Louisiana. What words would I need to say in an email to get them to teach, assess, reteach, and reassess before moving on to another goal? Well, you're not going to get that if you're opting out of most of their program. They're never going to cooperate with you. So can I ask then, because I actually had an opportunity to talk to this parent. Um, so you're, I would think 
Bonnie, that they would say, we're not going to get to all of the goals in the IEP, but I'm concerned about she is having the child go three hours a week and that they are not even attempting. They throw a concept at him and he doesn't get it. And then they move on to the next concept. It's like those three hours are like torture. Right. But the, but the district knows that that parent's never going to be able to make a successful case doing three hours a week. What she needs to do is have an IEP and work out a schedule with them. She has to at least try to cooperate with them and try to argue for and get in place a modified distance learning program. Um, and she's right that the district has an obligation to modify curriculum, accommodate and modify curriculum. But I'm just being very practical on this one. If you're only doing three hours a week, what are you getting out of it anyway? Wouldn't you be better off just opting out totally or doing uh, an independent study or home hospital or homeschool? I don't really see the value in three hours a week. If you want to set up a case against a district, that's certainly not going to work. Um, and I don't, I don't think she wants a case. I think she wants them while he is there to teach him. They're never going to, they're never going to, you know, they're never right. going to agree to, they're never going to agree to cooperate with three hours a week. And okay. what, what she might get is they might file for due process and seek an order to actually implement their IEP. You know, what and I'm what thinking, happens when that happens? I've had that filed against me and I, I, you know, and I, I fared fine through it, but what happens if you are doing a medically necessary treatment and she has a note that says that. What is the treatment? ABA. She's doing good quality ABA in the rest of the time. And can a school order you to stop doing that and bring your child to school? Well, are you asking me during COVID? Or are you asking me if, if in regular life? I guess ever. They can't compel you to do that, right? I mean, how, how, old, how old is the student? Uh, five-year-old in kindergarten. Okay, well, he's five. So in California, I don't know what the Louisiana rule is. In California, compulsory education is age six. Yeah. So in California, you don't have to do any of that, and they can't do anything to you. But generally, generally speaking, here's what I'm seeing, and I don't want to sound harsh, but I yeah. think this is the reality. I haven't talked to a single parent yet that's happy with their distance learning plan. Yeah. So that leads me to conclude that it's a problem with the distance learning plan, not the parents. But what the districts are doing is they're kind of stepping around the steaming pile of distance learning plan and doing what they always do, which is saying we think he's doing well in our class. In this case, he's doing well in our distance learning program. If you want to try to get something additional from the district, you're going to have to engage with them and get what we call try and fail data. And I can tell you in California, there are a lot of parents that are really unsatisfied about their public education and they want a private school program and they want the district to reimburse them for it. I can promise you that the hearing officers that work for the state of California that were furloughed at points when the budget is bad are not going to award private school programs to people who don't try the district program first and create try and fail data. So that's why I'm being so dismissive and saying three hours a week, you don't have to do it at all. Shannon asked what happens if they file against you. Well, if compulsory education doesn't start till six, um, 
that may or may not apply. But generally, when the district files against you, they're going to have a hearing. They're going to present what their offer was, and they're going to try to get an order to force you to let them implement their IEP. Yeah. So either you should just opt out totally because he's five and do an ABA program for a year. And if, in fact, your ABA program can interface with some kind of online curriculum and you can do your academic learning, you'll probably get more out of that than a year of public school anyway. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, okay, well, let's see what mom says to that. I want to address a couple of things that when we were talking about IHSS, people want to know, is that only in California? That particular program is only in California, although some states have something similar, um, and I'm not as well versed in that, to be honest with you. And, and Holly Rose wants to know if she can ask a question. You can always ask a question in the way that you asked that question. Um, and let's sometimes with Bonnie in particular, we like to give her time to ruminate on the question, but write in your question. Let's see if we have time today. And if we don't, we'll get to it next week. Um, okay, next question. My son is in a SPED class in LAUSD. He hates it and it's and is really struggling. I sat in on class the other day and I am so angry. I feel like it is torture for these kids. The teacher leaves all of the kids' mics on all of the time, so they are all hearing every stim, every background noise in every household. I think this would make anyone stim more. What are my options? I feel bad for having forced him to do it for this long. Well, for the foreseeable future, LAUSD is not going to offer anything other than its distance learning program. So your options are get out or try to force them to accommodate you better in the distance learning program. I mean, it seems possible that you would be able to ask them to unmike people uh, and manage the noise better. Um, generally, what I'm recommending, though, for people if they're in a distance learning plan is to call an IEP, talk about what isn't working, and get the district to address the concerns and try to fix it because then if you want to do something different, you'll have the justification to do so. Something I'm going to say on the air, which gives me great pleasure to say, is that every parent that's at LAUSD and in special ed is, is pretty bummed out about it, at least the ones that talk to me. But what I say is, oh, I love LAUSD. And they're like, well, why would you say that? And I say, because they don't have the time to really defend their cases and they settle with almost everybody, and they just don't have the energy to fight because they have too many battles. So if you're in LAUSD and you want to change it up, there's a pretty good chance that, A, their IEPs are crap and full of mistakes, and we could have a whole meeting about LAUSD IEPs and how fun they are to pick apart. Um, so you actually have options in LAUSD, but it's kind of said from a very lawyerly perspective, like, gee, Bonnie, you're saying it's great that LAUSD programs are so bad because it's so easy to sue them. But the answer is yes. And then, you know, hopefully you're going to go to a non-public school or you're going to have some different kind of environment that's actually going to be more beneficial for your child. So I will go on loving LAUSD because every time I do one of their cases, I'm just like, wow, where did they get that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And it should be said, I mean, there are some school districts that I'm aware of, I'm not going to name names, that um, also provide, you know, not great services and not great IEPs, and they spend all of their money defending it. Yeah. 
And that is a special ring of hell because you know your child isn't get, getting what you want and, and what they should be getting, what they legally have uh, the ability to do. And instead of paying for your child to have the right services, they're paying lawyers these big retaining fees to fight you. And, and that you, to me is worse. You get an interesting kind of synergy because some of these, these aggressive districts also have very aggressive attorneys. And some of these very aggressive attorneys, and I'm not sure I wouldn't name their name on the air. It might be fun to see what happens. But you know, they give their clients bad advice um, that you know has the effect of providing the attorney with a bunch more work to do. I think the special ed directors feel beaten up by the system, and sometimes it's just like a relief to them to feel like some really aggressive attorney has their back. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I I would I would you know be able to tick off a bunch of districts. Um, that are very litigious, and that involves doing things like filing cases against parents, uh, reporting reporting parents to DCFS, having SARB, having SARB hearings. I mean, you know, challenging parents when parents ask for an IEE and they file against them. Um, so, if you're an LUSD, we have ways that we can help, and you know, we're not the only attorneys that can help. I think the consensus among attorneys is we'll take LAUSD any day over some of these other districts because, you know, uh, it's probably worth talking about the structure of LAUSD for a minute. It's interesting. They don't actually have attorneys that do the mediations. They have specialists that are former, former educators who know whatever they've learned on the job, but they're not attorneys, and so it's easier, I think, to go up against them. And also because LAUSD is so big, nobody takes any particular case personally. They're very removed from the school at which it happened, you know, unlike in a small district. You go in there on a Monday and they've got their stack of filings like this. They can't, you know, they just have to like move the merchandise. They can't, they can't get personally attached to the result. So there's a huge impetus on their part to settle. And um, that really does work to the client's advantage. And I would say that we get among the best relief for clients in any district at LAUSD. They pay for more services and they pay more attorney's fees. And it is the second largest school district in the world. It's big. It's big. And for those of you who are like, what is LAUSD? It's Los Angeles Unified School District. So that's. Thank you. Uh, okay, last question I've got here. Uh, are we done with that one? Yeah. Okay. At, uh, last question. At my wit's end, I have two children in distance learning. I have one son in first grade, neurotypical, and my oldest son is in a sped third grade class. We are full distance learning in New York. Uh, maybe hybrid soon. Not sure if that will be better. Right now, I can't have both kids in the same room. The noise levels and distraction, no way. So I have them in two different rooms, and I feel like a mad waiter running back and forth. My youngest son is getting the worst part of the deal because I have to be with my older son most of the time. When school is in session, he has a full-time aide. There are two, so they overlap. He is never alone. At home, I am the aide. I used to work. Thank heaven I was furloughed. But if I get called back to work, dot, 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 what exactly do they think my role is? How are other people doing this? It seems crazy. Everyone keeps talking about how hard this is for the teachers. Really? 
I think it's a lot harder for the parents, especially those of us with severe children. Is there something I should be doing? Well, um, for an additional perspective, a lot of the teachers have young children. Uh, I think this is hard for almost all of us. It's a lot easier for me because my children are grown up and my grandson is not in, you know, play through whatever. So I think it's hard for a lot of people. And it's hard for the college students that are not being able to have that experience that they worked for. But that said, there aren't really great answers to what to do in your situation. Uh, you can look for um, you can look for childcare. Um, some districts are doing you know childcare. Uh, you could, I mean, none of these options is free. You could hire a tutor for your non-sped kid from Indeed.com, or you could really try to tighten up. Uh, your your special ed students uh, distance learning plan and potentially get some services in the home or have them go back to a school site if your school district is open for any kind of you know site-based learning. But since you're in New York, maybe you want to call Barbara Ebenstein or email her E B E N S T E I N. She um, is is more knowledgeable about state law than I am. She's she's a masterful attorney. She's also a hearing officer, but only in New York City and on Long Island. They have a different system. So I would ask her if she has any better, more specific ideas. But obviously, I don't see how you can do that. I don't see how you can be in two places at the same time. And I think, honestly, what sort of happened is people have been pretty much left to fend for themselves. You know, there, has, yeah. there hasn't been, uh, we had some districts in California, though, that started offering childcare, which I thought was kind of unexpected and amazing. But again, I don't, you know, even though I am here in New York, and there's a teacher across the street who teaches locally, I could ask her. But I, I think basically, you're either looking at attacking or beefing up your distance learning plan or getting a bunch of support for your other child, which involves money. So I'm not trying to say these things grow on trees, but the options are really limited. You know, in New York, um, the school district opens schools in Queens and Bronx and some other places. They're open for three days. The infection rate went up over 3% and they close them again. Yeah. So, when you say childcare, what exactly are you saying? So somebody comes and hangs out with. Well, are you talking about district, district provided daycare? Or are you talking about in the home? When you you were saying that some districts were provide here in California, yeah, Glendale, Glendale Unified opened up a bunch of school sites and started providing daycare, childcare. So um, is that for their teachers? School, but we can't open for childcare. Okay, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's just so, a way of working within the rules because childcare is considered essential. I guess. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. Glendale Unified. Check it out. All right. Uh, I'm just trying to see. In this case, both of her kids are in school, so I don't. I don't know. I, but I think it's worth. Like I, one of the things that we've been saying. Yeah, she can't um, even stagger their school. Right, that's a problem. Yeah, uh, and some schools are doing the asynchronous, so that you could scatter, uh, stagger it. That's something that's potential if they were doing but it, that. But but in California, you're required to have some synchronous every day. So you have to be present. I don't know if it is it. Do we know if it's that way in New York? 
Uh, I know nothing about New York except for that the bagels are so way better than California. <laughs> so I'm sure better. the lox is too, Bonnie. So I'm sure the lox is better too. And let's face it, the pizza is better there than anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I haven't but, been to the city once. Well, you have something better. You have something no, more luscious than pizza. I miss NYC. I miss NYC. Yes. I think we all do, but, but I'm so happy that you get to be there with your grandson because that's its own special reward. We've only got a couple of minutes left. And the other, and first, so much not right. so I'm much sorry. Stuff. Yeah, go ahead. So much stuff. Um, well, next week we can talk about some of the stuff I had for today. Let's just finish up something from last week. We talked about that terrible situation where the child was abused by the classroom teacher Yes. And I said I wanted to talk about the law on behavioral interventions. It's state okay. by state. So I'm talking about California, but I think it'll give you a feel for things if you're in another state. Anytime I throw out one of these code sections to you, you can just, you know, dial them up on Google. You know, so in this case, you'd put in uh, California or CA education code. It's section 56521. Point one. And that section is about emergency behavior interventions. And if you were on last week, you'll recall we talked about whether the teacher's interventions that she used were permissible or impermissible under California law. And the interventions were putting the child outside to nap unsupervised on a dirty rug and taking the child out of the classroom and shaking him repeatedly. Uh, because he felt he wasn't paying attention. And the administrative law judge talked about the fact that it's illegal that you interventions that, that isolate and leave the child unsupervised or cause pain or result in a denial of human dignity uh, to the person who's the recipient. So here's what the law says. In other words, those were not permissible emergency behavior interventions, okay? So emergency interventions may only be used to control unpredictable, spontaneous behavior that poses clear and present danger of serious physical harm to the individual with exceptional needs, like the child might be engaging in self-injury or others, and that cannot be immediately prevented by a response less restrictive than the temporary application of a technique used to contain behavior. So right there, before we even go on, you see that there's a weighing process, and this is only going to be justified in an extreme emergency situation. Emergency intervention shall not be used as a substitute for systematic behavior intervention plan that is designed to change, replace, modify, or eliminate a targeted behavior. C. No emergency intervention shall be employed for longer than is necessary to contain the behavior. The situation that requires prolonged use of an emergency intervention shall require the staff to seek assistance of the school site administrator or law enforcement agency um, as applicable to the situation. Emergency interventions shall not include, one, locked seclusion, Two, employment of a device, material, or object that simultaneously immobilizes all four extremities, except that technique-prone containment may be used as an emergency intervention by staff trained in those procedures, and amount of force that exceeds that which is reasonable and necessary under the services. 
to prevent emergency interventions from being used in lieu of planned systematic behavior interventions, the parent, guardian, and residential care provider, if appropriate, shall be notified within one school day if an emergency intervention is used or serious property damage shall uh, occur. A behavior emergency report shall immediately be completed and maintained in the file of the individual with exceptional needs. The behavior emergency report shall include name and age of the student with exceptional needs. Um, sorry, what happened here? I just got a phone call. Ah, oh. Where's the Zoom icon? Help. Oh, no. Sorry. I'm just gonna, can you still see me? I just want to finish this and go. Yes. Okay, good. I'm going to finish. Okay, so so uh, the setting and location of the incident, the name of the staff or other persons involved, a description of the incident and the emergency intervention used, and whether the individual with exceptional needs is currently engaged in any systematic behavior intervention plan, details of any injuries sustained by the individual or others, including staff. All behavior emergency reports shall immediately be forwarded to and reviewed by a designated administrator. If a behavior emergency report is written, there has to be an IEP meeting within two days. And basically at that point, if the person doesn't have a behavior plan, you need to develop one. If they have one, you need to tweak one. Why did I want to talk about this? Because almost all the time, these things happen on the fly. They usually happen in situations where staff are overextended and undertrained, and the district usually doesn't report it to the parent. So that's yeah. why I wanted to talk about it. I, you know, I, I realized that, again, we started the show weird because my clock is off. Um, so I've kept you longer than you needed. That's why your Zoom rang. Uh, so we really quickly need to close the show and let you go. Thank you for that though, Bonnie, but Tolmer law offices, people can contact you if they're not, if they're not looking for services in California, Arizona, or Nevada, you recommend, um, copaa.net. Bonnie, thank you so much. If you have questions for Bonnie, write them in for us and we'll get them to her next week. You guys have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, we're out of time, you guys. We went over. I apologize. We started late, so I guess we're even. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with the best of Temple Grandin. Excuse me. Then on Wednesday, we have Dr. Doreen Grampiche is going to be here with us live to answer your questions. And on Thursday, we have Mike Hippel, who's going to be here with us. It is uh, AAC Awareness Month. This is the month where um, we're bringing awareness to uh, augmentative devices for communication. And so Mike is going to be here with us on Thursday and he's bringing a special guest with him. Um, and, uh, we're thrilled and lucky to have him here and talk about this really important form of communication. So that's going to be on Thursday. And then on Friday, let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy. That's all the time we have for today. Sorry, I kept you guys late. I will be back with you live on Wednesday morning, but don't miss Temple Grandin tomorrow. We're showing more interviews, things that you guys may not have ever seen because we've done so many interviews with her um, up to date. So take a look at that. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>